This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3492 for Tuesday the 21st of December 2021. Today's show is entitled, Linux in Los S01E44. Pipewire just another audio server think again and this part of the series, Linux in Laws, it is hosted by Monochrome, and is about 53 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, Pipewire just another audio server, think again. This is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever fancies you tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mom! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusty guide dog, unless on speed, and QT Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. This is Linux in Laws Season 1 Episode 44, Pipewire. Just another audio server? Think again. Due to technical reasons, and Martin knows exactly what I'm talking about, this episode is slightly out of schedule. We will be back to our normal rota as soon as possible and apologize for this slight delay in publishing this episode. Unfortunately, my co-host, my beloved co-host, Martin Wissner, cannot make it tonight. But we, so I'm afraid that the new listeners and you listening to this episode have to do with just me. But to make up for this, I have a very important guest tonight, a guy called Wim Tamens. I hope I got this right without butchering the last name. Uh, for those few listeners who do not know Wim, of course, he's the guy behind something called Pipewire, the successor of something called Pulse Audio. But we're going to go into the technical bits in a, in a while. But maybe, Wim, why don't, why don't you introduce yourself, first of all? Yes. Hi, hello. I'm Wim Timons. I'm uh, a Belgian. I'm living in Spain currently. Um, I'm a programmer. I started programming when I was uh, young on Commodore 64. I made some games when I was uh, young in university. Um, and then I started getting involved with a project called GStreamer. So um, I was the, the second person to contribute to that. So I got involved with multimedia stuff on Linux and all of that, uh, with GNOME Desktop. Uh, went to a lot of conferences. Um, so I've been doing that for a while, uh, GStreamer. And then four or five years ago, I was asked to uh, rethink um, the video sharing, mostly for cameras, uh, from web browsers, but also for screen sharing. And that's how Pipewire started um, five years ago. So it, it sort of evolved into 
everything into uh, an audio a replacement for all of the audio, Linux audio stack. So that's kind of exciting, a little bit more than expected. The yeah, answer here we are. Similar to 42, the answer for, to all questions, <laughs> by the sound <laughs> of it. No, we, yeah. but, be, but before we go into Pipewire, if you have been working on GStreamer, maybe now is the time to give a short overview for the few listeners who do not know audio under Linux. Maybe now is the time to kind of give a short overview of how this whole stack fits together. I'm starting maybe with Elsa and then continuing to pulse and what this G-Streamer thing is all about so that we have a little bit of context before we start to discuss something called Papwire, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, at the lowest layer, layer, you have the kernel with the driver. So each audio card um, has a driver. There's a generic driver for USB uh, cards that, that comply with the USB standard for audio. Um, but on top of that, user space applications, they communicate with uh, a library called Alsa. Alsa is a lot of stuff, but in essence, it's a little wrapper around uh, IOCTLs to do stuff in the kernel. It, um, sorry, it stands yeah. for Advanced Linux Sound uh, Architecture, something like this? Yeah, yes, yes. Okay, yes. Uh, sorry. So it was meant, initially it was meant to be everything. It has like plugin architecture and you can link plugins together. And it has like a mixer as well and, and all kinds of tools. Um, but these things, they are less used these days. So in essence, also is used to just communicate with the driver and also the plugin system is still useful um, as you'll see later. So. Uh, also, of course, replaced a previous uh, kernel API, OSS. So OSS is not used anymore. It's mostly also. O open sound system, if I'm completely open mistaken, sound right? Open sound system, yeah. There is a whole history about how it was in the kernel and then proprietary and back out and then back in. For, for the old folks, yeah, I can remember it well when I used to compile my old kernels about 20 years ago. <laughs> Something like that. But I digress. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Exactly. So um, uh, there were some efforts to try to write a, a sound server in Alsa itself, but the routing was a bit difficult. So eventually there were other sound servers that came out. So um, like one of the first one was uh, ESD, if I'm not mistaken, in GNOME. And then there were other projects that were more like a synthesizer uh, infrastructure uh, like Arts on KDE. There were others that never gained really much traction, like Moss. Um, but eventually, uh, a new sound server came, uh, which was Pulse Audio. So the Pulse Audio sits on top of Alza. It basically talks to the application, takes all the audio from the application, mixes it together, and then sends it to uh, the device. It's fairly simple, uh, but it also needs to do things like moving applications to different devices, hot plugging of new devices. So there's a bit of logic that lives in a sound server. Um, and over the years, it has grown. Like you can do network transport, um, send, send audio between computers using Pulse Audio. Um, but there's another contender called Jack, right? If I'm completely mistaken. Yeah, so um, uh, 
Right around the time, well, a little bit before Pulse Audio was developed, the professional Linux art, and also actually also was, was developed uh, mostly by uh, the pro audio people. They lived in a separate group, um, mostly. Um, and they were focused on pro audio, which means like low latency, you capture signals from a microphone, you apply effects and send it back out things like that, or like uh, digital audio workstations, um, mixing desks, these things. Uh, and they had their own sound server that did very little, um, but was okay. all about flexibly routing signals around their apps, their drum machines and all of that. So the focus was completely different and they sort of developed, they sort of developed independently from each other. And by the time that Pulse Audio wanted to do the desktop things. They all already saw Jack, which did something completely different. And then we ended up with two situations, one for pro audio and one for desktop. Um, so this is one of the reasons why many distributions picked up Pulse as the answer to more consumer-oriented audio approaches, right? I suppose. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Jack is very, very narrow focused, you can only use one device um, and it has to be well, you can do other things but it's very difficult to configure um, it doesn't really do any Bluetooth um, it's it's very narrow very narrow focus um, it's yeah, it's not very generically useful on a desktop so Pulse Audio instead is very useful, it does everything automatic, you don't really need to configure much um, so that works better in a desktop environment. But on the other hand, Pulse Audio was not designed for uh, the low latency use case of Jack for okay. different reasons. For different reasons. Um, yeah. Interesting perspective here. And now, how does this whole GStreamer thing come into, into play here? Uh, the way I see it, and full disclosure, I'm by no means a, a multimedia expert when it comes down to Linux. I just use the stuff and wonder about the different backends. For example, when I use my favorite music uh, application, which is known as uh, Strawberry, it used to be uh, Amarok, but then I switched over to Strawberry. Clementine or Clementine came in between, but then Clementine fell by the wayside with regards to BitRot, so I switched over to Strawberry. Uh, but there, for example, I, G, I see a GStreamer backend that I normally use, and it works. So maybe now is the time to shed a little bit more light on more userland things? Yeah, so uh, we talk about Alza, we talk about the sound servers, but then on top, on the next layer, is the media frameworks. So what does what do media frameworks do? They do decode, they read files, they de demux things, they extract the compressed audio, they decode the audio, and then eventually uh, send the audio to, uh, in in this case, Pulse Audio, for example, or for the video to the the compositor or mm -hmm. X11. Right, so that's the task of the multimedia framework. It's like the gluing of all of those decoders um, and possibly also provide a good user interface for applications to do this, to make this possible. So, um, so that's what GStreamer is. It's an API to, to be able to construct these kind of things, decoders and demuxers, uh, reading tags out of it, um, 
sending it to the sound server in a pluggable way so that if you, if you have different sound server that it automatically selects one and all these things. So that's so, a multimedia framework. So it's more like a workflow that allows you to connect different co components to each other? Yeah, different blocks, different functional blocks that you connect together. It doesn't really have to do anything with audio where an audio server okay. is audio. It's, it can be reading files, reading tags, interfacing with various uh, yeah, APIs at the lower levels. So it could be like video capture, encoding, sending it over RTP. Okay. So that's that's a thing that, that multimedia frameworks do. They, they, it's like the big glue for gluing all these components I together. I see. And do you know where the name comes from, as in GStream? Does that, have, does that have anything to do with GNOME? or? Yes, so originally it was called GNOME Streamer. So um, it, was, it was built, uh, well, the first version was from um, 1998, 99, uh, which is exactly when GNOME started um, implementing their stuff. And it was actually using also a G, GTK at that time. I see. So, and it was built using all of these technologies that GNOME was going to use for their GUIs. Um, it, had, it, it was using that object model, and it was meant to go into the GNOME desktop as the multimedia framework. So it okay. was called GNOME Streamer. I see. So that's a bit of history. Um, after a while, we, we figured it out, but it doesn't really have to be GNOME-specific. There's nothing okay. really that we need to do GNOME-specific. I mean, we can use the technology, but uh, we can just call it GStreamer. Okay. Um, interesting overview now. Uh, given the fact that Pulse Audio has been around for a while, why or how did you come to the conclusion that now it would be time for a new approach, hence Pipewire. Maybe yeah. you can shed a little bit of, of, of light on the history of the project. Yeah, so the, the first version of, of Pipewire was simply meant to be um, sharing of a, of a camera, a video for Linux camera, um, and just capture video. And we also had capture video from... Uh, the desktop for screen sharing it was all implemented using GStreamer. So um, that's basically the, the, the first fundamentals. Um, but when, when I started doing the project and I was thinking about things, it, it became clear like, okay, I'm actually re-implementing all of, of these GStreamer things. Um, um, can I not... Uh, can I not make like an audio server with this? And then I actually built an audio server using GStreamer, but then I got, got into trouble because GStreamer is a bit too high level for this. It doesn't exactly have the lowest possible latency that you want in such a server. So then I started rewriting those components and then it sort of evolved into, um, into Jack actually. And okay. then I had the Jack, but I also had components from that, that actually made it work like Pulse Audio. So then I sort of ended up something in between. And then I started getting serious about it. <clears throat> Maybe I can actually implement both Jack and Pulse Audio with this new thing. 
So okay. if, if you say, how did I get to this? It's more like an experimentation and a, and a logical evolving of the code to, to where it went naturally. Yeah. There wasn't actually a plan to say like, I'm going to replace Jack or Pulse Audio. It's more like building all of these things. It just came to me once. Maybe I should actually try to do this. And I had to go to an, another redesign to make this, this actually happen because the initial design wasn't um, suited to do Jack. If you want to do like pro audio stuff, you need to be very, very, very specific and very, very um, uh, pay attention to all the little details to actually make this work. So, and all, all little bottlenecks that can cause latency is just not possible. Yeah, I can I can yeah. recall an interview with Leonard Pottering where he kind of shed some light on the challenges that he encountered when designing and implementing Pulse, and latencies were at the very top of that list. So it's, it came a little bit as a, of a surprise that he actually didn't write this in assembler. I'm joking. <laughs> but, C, but, but I reckon C would be the natural choice for implementing this in, in, in the light that probably Rust isn't ready for prime time here. But you need a performant programming language here, right? So Yeah, but more importantly, even, um, is the design of the communication between the clients and the server, which is what Pulse Audio uh, does not do correctly. Okay. So that's, that's the big problem. That uh, So Pulse Audio's design uh, for the communication between clients and the server is based on um, a socket, which can be a local socket or a network socket. And the protocol can be sent over the network or over, over a local, between a local daemon and a client. But that rules out um, shared memory you need to be able to send it over a network. And then the whole protocol becomes um, much more complicated than it needs to be. And actually getting data from a client to a server is very heavy in Pulse Audio. So Pulse uses UDP or TCP to transmit the data? I suppose UDP, TCP. right? TCP. TCP. TCP, okay, wow. Yeah, so, and it's TCP. And like, for example, what you need to do in an audio server is the audio card needs, let's say, 100 samples. You need to wake up that client as fast as you can and tell it, you need to make 100 samples right now. And that thing needs to send 100 samples and it needs to go as quickly as possible to the, to the hardware card. So what happens in Pulse Audio is that it all goes to a couple of context switches of threads, then over a socket, it gets marshaled in a message, then over a thread, then to a client, demarshaled back to the thread uh, of the network, back to the other thread, and then to the card. So the, the path is just very long. And you can't make that work reliably with very small buffers. Also, audio can't go very low latency for that reason. Sounds expensive, yes, especially given the fact that yeah. you're using TCP because the network stack inside the kernel with regards to TCP is quite heavy in comparison to, U to UDP because the TCP protocol basically takes care of sequencing and all the rest of it. Something that, that you don't necessarily need for audio, right? No, right. So there have been some um, changes made to put part of the, the data into shared memory. So that's, that speeds up things a bit. And it mostly actually reduces the amount of CPU usage 
popping it all over sockets and stuff. So, but yeah, it's mostly the, the threading model that is causing bottlenecks in pulse audio. So if you compare that to Jack, Jack is very simple, card wakes up, it signals a, a, a semaphore, the client wakes up, writes stuff in a buffer, the buffer is in shared memory, it wakes up the server again, server reads from the buffer and that's it. So it's very quick. And it's very similar in, in Pipewire now. So the, the path is super simple. So with that design, um, you can send small buffers very quickly between many different applications. So this is what you need for um, jack-like features, but also for low latency. So essentially you and took the memory approach and implemented this for Pipewire. Yeah, so if you look at the implementation of Pipewire, it's very, very similar to Jack. So it uses a bit more modern uh, ways of doing things, like it doesn't use uh, a semaphore, but it uses event FDs because you can pull those on, on one thread, many on one thread. The, with the semaphore, you actually have to block um, things like that. Uh, and Jack has like a huge piece of shared memory, like 100 megabytes where everything wow. goes in. Okay. So all clients can basically read from all other clients, right? Um, which is what you don't want to have in a, in a flat pack or in a, um, an environment where you have to isolate programs from each other. So Pulse Audio uses, yeah. The user stuff like app images, snaps, whatever. Yes, I get it. Yeah. So you don't want uh, your, I don't know where it comes from app, uh, be able to, to peek at um, other apps as data, right? You, you want to isolate that from all the other things, which is something that Pulse Audio doesn't do uh, and Jack also doesn't do. So the Pipewire is designed to only give the memory um, to a client that it's allowed to see. So, so that's using... something like security already built in to, to a certain extent. Yeah, it's, I mean, th these applications were, were written 15 years ago. Uh, nobody was talking about flat packs or, or trying to isolate applications or, or virtual machines barely existed uh, on, on desktops in that way. So, yeah, it's a, it, it's a little bit of a rethinking of all of these things, how they should work uh, in this new world. So, yeah. What other differences are there between the traditional approach, like primarily Pulse Audio, I guess, and Pipewire? What sets Pipewire aside with regards to further architecture and, and implementation differences? Um, yeah, so I think the biggest part is the scheduling uh, bit, which is more like Jack. So you, you have a very short part to waking up clients and getting da moving data around. The thing that is used from uh, Pulse Audio is more like all of the dynamic things and the the, the timer-based scheduling, for example, from Pulse Audio is also in uh, Pipewire. Um, so the way that it's built now is you have you have Pipewire itself, um, which actually doesn't really natively support 
pulse audio applications, there is a daemon sitting um, in between that actually translates pulse audio clients to pulse audio, uh, to pipewire uh, messages. Okay. So, um, I guess I guess it's ripped it's ripped open. Pulse Audio is ripped open into actually three parts. So you have the core part, which is the scheduling of the the audio samples, how it flows from clients to the devices. Then you have the policy, which is separated in a session manager, which are all the rules like where should the audio go, how does it need to be configured, where are the volumes stored in the database, and all these things. And then there's the protocol. Uh, which is separated in, a, in a, another deal. So it's actually pulled out in three parts, also audio. Um, and, yeah. and in comparison to that, Pipewire is, is different? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, it eventually implements all of the features that are in Pulse Audio, but it's, it locates the functionality in different parts and with slightly different implementations. So. Okay. Just curious, you chose C as the main implementation language, similar part to parts audio, I might add, never mind. I think Jack has implemented in C as well. C++, Did you ever C++, yeah. C++ okay, C++, yes. Oh. <laughs> I already learned Jack, something Jack, new. Jack 1 is C, Jack 2 is C++. I'm just wondering, because whenever I meet some hipster colleagues of mine, way younger, I might add, than me, of course, they talk about Rust and other newfangled languages, which have certain advantages in terms of memory safety and all the rest of it. Did you ever consider using something else than C to yes, implement this? Uh, yes, I tried to uh, learn Rust, but I couldn't get it. I, I didn't managed to feel comfortable enough to actually implement the Rust. So, okay. So, so, I mean, full disclosure, we did a couple of episodes on Rust, uh, on, on Rust recently. So I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a, a hidden closet fanboy, if you want to call it like that. I wouldn't, con I wouldn't consider myself an, uh, an expert in, on, on Rust by no means, but I'm just curious about the language. What do you consider as the biggest challenge with the learning curve in Rust, if you took a look at it. Just curious. Uh, uh, nothing in particular, so I think that's part of the problem. Um, okay. so you, you read the thing and then it's like, oh yeah, we're going to do a mute here and uh, we take a ref there. But um, I don't know. If you're writing program, it's also kind of like the, the code. It's sort of not so very, it, it sort of comes automatic. You know, you have an ID and then you say, I need to search in a list like this and that. Mm. And with the new idioms in Rust, you need to get like experience with that in order to just write the thing that you're thinking, right? So in Rust, I can't do that. They need more. You probably need to start something else simple, like do some modifications or something, something existing, build up. Uh, your Rust experience. Uh, okay. I, I wasn't experienced yeah. enough to be able to build this in Rust. So I think but that's I take, yeah. But I take it you're coming from a C background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Very comfortable with C, so... Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the one thing... 
yeah, the one thing that before I digress any further, the last last kind of remarkable question on this, the the one thing that I find very interesting about Trust is actually the comprehensive ecosystem that comes with it, starting with the standard library, which is really really rich. Never mind the the, the crates ecosystem, where you can simply similar to Python or other languages of recent persuasion, let's put it this way, where you can simply put in sh- uh, pick and choose with regards to the functionality you want to implement. I'm just wondering what on what shoulders is Pubwire standing with regards to, certain, uh, to third-party code? Or is it all written right from scratch? Uh, mostly written from scratch, yeah. Wow, okay. Yep. Yep, there's nothing... Reused. Interesting. Yeah. Given the <laughs> fact that good. if you describe this as an experiment, <laughs> quite a few distros and Fedora, I reckon, uh, is one of them because 34 picked Pipewire as a past replacement have adopted this as the standard order subsystem. Any comments on this? <laughs> no, uh, no comment. So um, I, I can say, like, um, I mean, before Fedora, or before I, I suggested uh, trying this out in Fedora, um, I've been running and, and testing uh, the audio server part for, for like a year and a half, probably, uh, with some other people. So it's it's not exactly um, like out of the blue. When it was... Suggested to be adopted for Fedora, it was already working quite well. Okay. Um, but but what happened is um, it accelerated things enormously. Um, so it like when it was suggested in Fedora until it was uh, adopted by Fedora, things just got rewritten. <laughs> Major subsystems. I think the whole Pulse Audio thing was just written in like those three months leading up to the release. It was just like, okay, uh, this compiles and it runs and it seems to run better than it did before. Okay, uh, ship it. And literally in Fedora at the last minute, we patched up stuff. So I'm, I was sitting there, oh no, this is never gonna survive. The <laughs> okay. testing of Fedora, right? Um, I mean, you follow principles to develop these things, uh, you test them, uh, but it's always like, well, I don't know where this is going. Uh, but it's been surprisingly well. So until the last minute, I was sitting there and something has to go wrong. This is impossible. Um, how can this work so well? Uh, People, then, you heard yeah, it. Adopted, so. People, you uh, heard it here uh, first. World domination by no accident. Comment. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, by accident. Uh, well, <laughs> accident. It's a, It was a lot of hard work, of course. Uh, but yeah, these things, uh, replacing an audio subsystem, is dangerous. You never know where you're going to end up, right? Exactly. I mean, it's not something you, that you do over a weekend being a distro. 
And if rumor is anything to go by, other distros like Canonical Ubuntu are taking a very serious look at this. I mean, Ubuntu has, has, has packages as part of their standard repo packages. So you can simply install Pipewire with, and with a few changes and with your system D configuration, it's, it simply replaces Pulse Audio as is, it's a drop in replacement for Pulse Audio. Never mind other Linux distros. So I reckon, the acceptance curve is quite steep at the moment with regards to Pipewire. Yeah, um, yeah, it 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 works out really well apparently. Um, I mean, yeah, I, no comments uh, in general. It's it works. It works. That's good to hear. I just yeah. curious, you're the arch- the lead architect and you're the main implementer, I suppose. Yeah. How many how many other people are working on this project? Red Hat or not? Um it's it was in the beginning just me. Um we have some people from Palabra that uh, wrote okay. Wire Plumber. They, that's an alternative session manager, which is a bit more powerful than the the toy session manager that uh we ship with Pipewire and that is currently used. Um, and mostly the Bluetooth stuff uh, was was written by other people, uh, okay. by two or three, mainly two or three other people. Um, so the core team is a handful of people, like two to three or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they are all employed by Red Hat. No, no, no. It's just me. It's Red just Hat. you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Where do you see this project going? Other than what domination that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just keep going. Um, so I think, for example, for the moment, uh, there is the goal of having feature parity with Pulse Audio and Jack. Okay. Uh, so there's a couple of modules that don't really work yet. Um and a couple of things that need implementing. So we're going to move through that. But then probably uh, after that is done, uh, we are gonna start to think about all the new things we can do and try to redesign uh, some of the audio experience. Like, I don't know, I don't know exactly. GUIs to configure things possibly. there are quite a few nice GUIs for Pulse Audio. For example, the equalizer comes to mind. Any plans for this? Uh, yeah, so feature parity, as I said. So, yeah, then an equalizer is is needed. Um, but how this will be implemented, I don't know exactly yet. Or how, how do we want to do this in general? Like, for example, there is now uh, also Easy Effects, which is native. Uh, Pipewire, it used to be Pulse Audio. Um, so uh, Easy Effects actually uses the, the Pipewire native filter uh, plugins to implement the filter chain. Um, and it wraps like existing plugins that are actually coming from uh, Pro Audio uh, space, like LV2 plugins and Lotspot plugins. So right. there's going to be a, yeah there's going to be a bridging of of these things you know like pro audio uh, effects that will be used more they also come with a GUI that maybe we don't want to show 
uh, to regular users. They're very fancy and sometimes complicated. Okay. In, but, in, uh, in yeah, interesting because LV2, of course, rings a bell in the context of, say, something like Audacity, where it can get a lot of plugins for Audacity coming from LV2 and other spaces. So if you plan to integrate this natively with the PowerPoint, you're seriously taking a look at the pro audio space here, no? Yeah, so the, there's a couple of, uh, like, for example, there's an effect chain in uh, PowerPoint that you can load and you can make, like, an arbitrary graph of, uh, lots of plugins currently, so you can build your little effect chain. Um, uh, but you can just run any uh, Jack application on top of Pipewire. Natively? Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Same API. Is, yeah, so Pipewire is compatible with Pulse Audio applications and Jack applications. So all Jack applications are dual. You can run on top of Pipewire. You don't need nice. Jack email anymore. Okay. Wow. Interesting. That sounds very, very fascinating, especially if you're taking a serious look at, because I see the kind of the, the Linux audio space dividing into a pro uh, sector and the more consumers oriented stuff like, like the, like the Bundes or the other, or the other mints of the world. We simply take we simply take a USB stick and have an and have a system up and running in about ten to fifteen minutes max, whereas a pro audio workstation requires a lot more configuration here, and hence the difference between something called pulse audio and jack, for that matter. Yeah. So, if you take a Fedora thirty four, you can just run uh, Katia or or Carla and see the pipe wire graph using the Jack API and see your Pulse Audio apps there and make filters and route signals. and It's all one big audio thing. So it's a, it's kind of like a unification. It's not exactly a unification because there's still two different APIs hmm. and they don't exactly know about each other or maybe they shouldn't know about each other, but I think part of the future is also figuring out uh, where does this go? And how can we bring those close to closer together? Um, these kind of things. Like. Interesting. Given the fact that both Pulse and Jack are heavily tied into Linux systems, and BSDs use something completely different, I take it Pipewire has been designed and implemented along the same way or do you for some wild reason could imagine, uh, can imagine actually a port to another operating system outside the Linux space or would that be uh, too much effort uh, I can imagine it but I'm not interested uh, in well, doing that myself if somebody does that uh, I'm happy to merge patches uh, but yeah well, the code base is under GPL license, maybe BSD? MIT. MIT. <laughs> it's even more liberal. Okay, yeah, so it's very liberal. people, people, the, the, the BSD people who are out there listening, <laughs> if you're looking for something really extravagant in terms of sound system, the code base is, is under MIT, just max yourself out. Yeah, um, along the yeah, same... I have lots of, I, Sorry, have lots of BSD, I receive lots of BSD patches, so... You do? Okay. So uh, is Pipewire already up and running on BSD? 
It should, yes. It should. Wow. Okay. Out of the box. People, you heard it here first. What's what's next? ZOS or uh, Windows or something? Well, um, <laughs> I'm, what joking. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> no, I mean, jokes aside, given the fact that WSL 2.0 now has a full blown Linux kernel integrated, you could even toy with the idea of running this on Windows, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think uh, Pulse Audio runs under that uh, system as well. So it shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah, so you can replace the drop-in replacement for Pulse Audio with PowerPoint. If you choose to do so. Another more philosophical question, because similar to Pulse, you're tying very much into the the guts of the system. Do you perceive... Something called system D, especially for example, if in a, in a GNOME context, as the right approach with regards to system management, because system D, for those people who do not know, listening to this podcast, system D started out as a simple init daemon replacement, but has now captured much, 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 much more of the user land space, ranging from login session management right up to virtual machine management, all the rest of it. So a little bit of more background. Gnome has, I think a couple of years back, maybe recently decided to tie in more with systemd, which suffice to say, it didn't make the BSD people really that happy because uh, GNOME was kind of a serious contender for, for uh, I wouldn't say a standard desktop in, in, on BSD systems, but was used quite a lot, let's put it this way. But given the fact that systemd only runs on Linux, and if GNOME makes it more, makes itself more dependent, let's put it this way, on systemd, that more and more, that makes it harder and harder for the BSD people to adopt. Gnome as, as a standard desktop environment. Any any comments on this? Any thoughts about systemd and the kind of high level of integration that this more and more encompassing ecosystem brings with it? Needless to say, there is of course a Pipewire systemd service unit to start up the whole thing. Yeah, uh, we use it to start up things. It works for that, I guess. Other people use other systems. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't know, I don't really have a, a lot of opinion about these things. It's, I don't know. So, but the, what we use in system, from system D in Pipewire is, is very little. Um, and, and I think the, the stuff that, um, that we can use, I think something uh, like login, D, it monitors the, the logins and stuff like that is handy because uh, in, in Bluetooth you can only have one user register Bluetooth services so if, if you switch consoles or switch users we need to they register from one user and register for the other or else there is no Bluetooth for that user so I mean if that service is there we can use it, we can make use of it so I don't know if there is another system, we can conditionally compile support for that, and then it works as well. Um, so you perceive systemd as that toolbox that it was originally yeah. set out to, to be, rather than the threat, as some people figure it, 
to the whole Unix philosophy? Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't feel threatened or I don't think that the Unix philosophy should feel threatened. No, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's getting big, of course. There's a lot of stuff that goes in there. Um, as long as it's separated in, in separate modules and you can pick and choose. It's a bit like GStreamer. If you, if you look at GStreamer, it's huge. Uh, thousands of plugins uh, wrapping any, any library that you can find. Uh, so yes, it, if you pull in GStreamer, you pull in everything almost, according to multimedia, I guess. But uh, it's separated in modules. You pick and choose. Um, you disable the things you don't want. Okay. If you have that flexibility, I don't see a problem really. Um, so for Pipewire as well, <clears throat> so um, there is a, a clear separation of three items. Uh, like for example, the the actual data transport is it it, it doesn't it it doesn't need system D. It doesn't need any of those services. It just shuffles data around. There's nothing there. And then you have the session manager, which is probably highly uh, specific to where you're running. So there I can see integrations with GNOME specific things to get config files and, and settings from the user, integrate with the control panels and all of these things. Okay. So that's, that's living in a session manager. So the question is, you know, how do you build this session manager for your desktop? Mm. You have tools to do that. It's a bit like, like uh, making a compositor with Wayland, right? You have toolkits like Sway or Mutter um, or KDE. Um, Indeed. So you build where you're going to run your stuff in, I guess. Mm. So I guess it's the same with Pipewire as well. So I don't really see that, that we are at some point we have to choose or we have to integrate everything with systemd and there's no way around it. That's, I don't see that future at all. Interesting perspective. Is there anything that we've missed out on regarding Pipewire so far before we close off the show? Um, no, well, I think I, you asked about the future of Pipewire. I think we, we're missing one big piece. Uh, By all means, go ahead. Yeah, so it's, it started out as a video framework, uh, but we haven't talked about where video is going because audio sort of took over and then it started replacing these audio demons. But actually the original goal was to make video processing pipelines. So for VJing um, purposes, there's a couple of um, of applications on other platforms that, that are very impressive to do like this live video combining and mixing and different apps working together. So I, I see something like that also uh, being created in Pipewire. It's a whole new thing in Linux because there's nothing like it. Um, so I think that's also interesting to see. Yeah. So people, you heard it first. For the next big thing with regards to audio and video, stay tuned. <laughs> okay, watch this space. And of course, the whole the whole code is available on GitHub, I suppose. Yeah. For yeah. people who, who want to check it out, of course, the links will be in the show notes. Fair enough. We normally, at the end of the show, we normally have something called the boxes. That stands for the picks of the week, where we discuss 
anything that comes to mind. So if you if there's anything that has crossed your path, so to speak, in the last week or two, that you think worth it would be worth mentioning, now is the time. Can be anything, a movie, a book, something that you rediscovered recently, really anything goes. Uh, yeah, I actually learned um, some new Rubik's Cube tricks. <laughs> By all means. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was frustrated with... Um, well, I, I, I've learned to solve the Rubik's Cube when I was like eight years old. Um, and, we, be, yeah. be, before, before you continue, sorry, we may have younger listeners among the audience who do not know necessarily what a Rubik's Cube is. Uh, Can yeah, you explain? Yeah. Do, how do I explain? It's a cube. It's uh, six sides with six colors. And now it's like blocks. You turn them, you twist them, and... Uh, yeah, the colors can be mixed up, and the the purpose is to twist the sides and the middles until the all the colors are where they're supposed to be, one color on each side. It so, used to be the latest rage in the eighties back in the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was I was doing the there's a technique the c the c-fop technique but uh, to the upper layer i wasn't really good at it i only knew like two tricks so i actually learned the other well i do the two the two lookup method for the orientation and the permutation so i see i learned i learned like i don't know 16 algorithms is it or maybe or 20. so and now now i'm a bit faster now i'm happy so yeah so you can solve that, that puzzle because essentially it's a puzzle under yeah. with an under a minute? Yeah, yeah, under a minute I can do. Wow, okay. Then, yeah, so next task will be doing the finger tricks so that I can do it under maybe 45 seconds, 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay. Yeah. So See, it's, it's that or learning rust. <laughs> I see. <laughs> So Rubik's Cubes World Championships, watch out for Wim, for Mr. Wim Taman, just in case. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. Okay, my pox of the week is actually make my own kefir. Um, kefir, for those people who don't know it, is a yogurt-like milk derivative. Is that the word I'm looking for? It's essentially fermented milk, pretty much like yogurt. You can buy the stuff in supermarkets, but if you do it yourself like yogurt, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to add, it doesn't even come close to the stuff that you can buy in terms of your full control over the process. You can do your own stuff. You can control the level of fermentation. The, the stuff you can buy in the supermarket just even doesn't come near if you do it by yourself. And of course, kefir coming from central Mongolia is probably one of the more healthier drinks rather than processed milk. But that will be my pox of the week. Wim. Um, that has been more than interesting, never mind fascinating. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. I would like to thank you for your time and look forward to having you back in a couple of, of months to talk about the latest and greatest about Pipewire. Absolutely. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you and cut. Wim, that has been more than um, interesting, let's put it this way. I learned a lot. <laughs> and this show is of course recorded it should go out hopefully before the year's over we have a little bit of a backlog with episodes just we are publishing this on hpr um if you've taken a look at the website 
you know how, where to find us, but if I don't forget it, of course, I will send you a mail once it's live. Yep, great. And th- I'll keep an eye on it. And thanks again for your time. You're welcome. And cool. uh, do you have a link for this Rubik's Cube thing? You can send it to me via mail. That's not a big deal. Yeah. If you find it, simply shoot me a mail. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll send you a link to to the one that I used. Well, Perfect. I composed my own algorithms from different sides, but just not Excellent. going too much. Bim, again, thank you well. I know my Dutch is crap. <laughs> no, it's very good. And you see worse, so I won't bother with this. And as I said, uh, keep up the good work and speak to you soon. Okay, thank you. Take care, Bye. thanks. Bye. You are currently the This is the Linux in laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Tap Attribution Share Alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salute Margo, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under Creative Commons at Jamando a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR is kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.